Um, so for the whole season of Lent, which uh, if you aren't, uh, if you haven't grown up in the church, it's church jargon for uh, the 40-day period that exists between Ash Wednesday, which is the reminder of our mortality, really uplifting service there, right? Remembering that we are human and we will probably die, probably die. And then uh, there's a 40-day stretch between that day, which was last Wednesday, and Easter Sunday, which is a reminder of the resurrection, that the worst things we experience are not the last thing. In between those two moments, in between a reminder of mortality and a promise of resurrection, we have a 40-day period called Lent. And in Lent this year at North Decatur, we're talking about renewal and what it means to be renewed by God. And we're talking about that for several intentional reasons. First, it's really easy to just get into a funk of complacency. At least that's true for my own life. It's easy to just develop easy habits that are conformed to someone else's ideals. It's really easy to lose our sense of self under all sorts of things, a huge workload or a drive for profit margins or an overwhelming family schedule, our sense of purpose and our sense of value can so easily become tied to the expectations of an employer or a spouse or a teacher or a shareholder that we have a really hard time remembering the fundamentals of our own intrinsic value. Uh, Ruth Burroughs, who's an incredible spiritual teacher who writes frequently about prayer, said it beautifully in a book called The Essentials of Prayer, where she makes the point that we, for some reason, have gotten into a habit of treating prayer and our relationship with God generally in the same way we treat the rest of our life. She says, we try too hard to make it a productive moment. And she says, you know, that's just true of so much of our life. So, so much of our life is wrapped up in our need for us to be thoroughly adultish. But with prayer, we're simply meant to be children. With God, we're simply meant to be beloved children. There's so many parts of our lives where we have control, responsibility, accountability to structures and systems that exist beyond us. But with God, we are purely dependent on the grace that is poured out for us that is unearned and unexpected. So, so, what, is, so what does that mean? It means that for some of us, we think a little too highly of ourselves and for others of us, we have a habit of thinking too little of ourselves. The truth is, you are so far from perfection that it is worth laughing at. You're just so far from it. It's worth laughing at. It really is. But in the same moment, you are so worth loving that God has named you as a beloved child knows every hair on your head and loves you more oftentimes than we even love ourselves. And our impulse to perform is what keeps us from being able to laugh at ourselves. And it's also what keeps us from being able to love ourselves the way that God does. 
And those impulses are taught to us. Like for a lot of us, it sort of started in childhood. Either we were showered with compliments so frequently that we melt down whenever any critique is offered to us, or we were criticized so frequently that we find it impossible to accept any compliment that someone gives to us. So we need to be renewed. We need renewal. We need to be reminded of both truths that you are so worthy of love and affection. You are fundamentally valuable. You bring joy to the world simply because you exist. And, and, and you are not perfect. You are not better than anyone else around you. You are graciously and gracefully good enough. And we need to be renewed to that fundamental truth. I think it's pretty natural for us to swing across that spectrum throughout our life. In some seasons, we feel incredibly close to God and like we are very valuable in God's eyes. And then in other seasons of life, we feel incredibly distant from God and filled with doubts in ourselves and in God. We're in a chaotic season of life. It's the way it works. It's chaos and spinning. There are a million different people trying to assign us value based on the quirks and traits of our personalities or based on our productivity or based on our commitment to a particular vision or outcome, or they're assigning value based on loyalty to them or to someone else. And that, that chaos, those million different directions that we're pulled in internally, they get transferred within us and we start assessing our worth and our own value based on those other people's assessment of us. And when it's good, it's good. But when it's bad, it is so bad. Sometimes it's incredibly encouraging and other times it's incredibly demeaning to rely on the opinion of others for our self-worth. So we need to be renewed. Our fundamental value isn't assigned to us by any person. You are valuable for the same reason that a flower is valuable. You are valuable because you are beautifully and wonderfully made. Your value because God made you to love and to be loved. And the problem is we just have a bad habit of overcomplicating that. We seem to think that our faith is just another project that's been assigned to us in life. And if we don't finish the project or if we don't do the project well enough, God will be mad at us and God will reject us. We seem to get stuck in this idea of God as an angry supervisor who's just waiting for us to fail because he wanted to fire us from the minute we were hired anyway. And 
What's really kind of funny is that some of us want so badly to develop better practices and to do this project so well and to be better at it uh, for whether it's prayer and fasting or meditation or reading or whatever else that might make us look like we're good at faithfulness that we tend to just read a lot of books and watch a lot of videos of other people doing those spiritual practices really well and diligently, right? I do that with my own habits. Y'all, I have wasted more early mornings watching videos of other people exercising in the morning and reading about how they developed a good practice of waking up early to exercise than I have ever spent actually exercising early in the morning. It's laughable. And then, of course, I complain that I'm not getting into better shape or whatever, but it's because I'm just watching other people be faithful rather than developing my own routine. It's hilarious. It's something to laugh at. And I really believe that God laughs at us too. And every time he sees us open up a new how to pray or how to study or whatever, or turn on YouTube and watch somebody else live out their life of faith, I think God just laughs. I think God laughs with us at our quirks. I believe God laughs at and loves how much we try and how much we want to do, but we so badly need to be renewed. In Isaiah's 40th chapter, the, the tone of the book shifts completely. It's really a completely different book, starting in the 40th chapter of Isaiah's um, book. In fact, uh, it's so different that most scholars agree that this is a completely different writer writing to a completely different audience. The first half of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, it's written to uh, the people of God just before they're defeated by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, just before they're sent into exile. Those first 39 chapters are words of judgment, warning, and a promise for all the people of God that it will get better after this calamity. And then in chapter 40, which is where Daniel read a section of for us today, in chapter 40, the tone shifts almost completely to be words of comfort and hope for a group of people who are already living in exile. So the passage Daniel read just a few minutes ago was written to a group of people who are already cast out of their homes. They've already been forcibly removed from their homes. Their homes were likely destroyed. The temple where they worship God, the only place where God resided, has already been torn down. Their lives have been held together barely by the remnants of memories of what used to exist. They're living as foreigners in a land of people who do not really want them there, who don't share the same devotion to God or the same values. So, this is a kind of scenario that you can't really imagine yourself in, but it's a kind of, it's worth trying to piece together where our emotional well-being might be here. Imagine the kind of trauma that these folks have endured. Their lives have been uprooted. They had to start over in a way that was not on their own terms. They had to try and live faithfully to God while surrounded by symbols of devotion to the other gods. And so naturally, you could assume they had a lot of concerns about themselves and about God. How do you live as a chosen people 
in exile. Does that mean God has lost the power that God used to have? Are the Babylonian gods actually more powerful than our God? Is there any pathway for us to get back to our homes? This whole section of Isaiah, starting here in the 40th chapter, seems to be responding to these kinds of questions in a series of uh, statements that you would likely hear in like a court proceeding, defending the nature and love of God. You see, the people were justifiably thrown into a season of incredible doubt that led them to question their own sense of intrinsic value and made them question the power and the presence of God. And so God speaks to them. He reminds the people of the last time they found themselves in dangerous and oppressive lands. They when they were slaves in Egypt and the moment that God brought them from, to freedom and led them to the land of promise. In fact, Exodus' 19th chapter is really just quoted by the prophet Isaiah. On the third month anniversary of the Israelites' freedom from Egypt, God spoke to the people through Moses and he said this, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I lifted you up on eagles' wings and brought you to me. So now if you stay faithful to the covenant, you will be my precious possession. You see, Isaiah is simply reminding the people of God's covenant with them renewing within them a faith that had lasted generations. And he alludes to this very important story that all of these people would have been familiar with by basically repeating it. As Daniel just read, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will fly up on wings like eagles. They will run and not be tired. They will walk and not be weary. You see the familiarity between these two moments. But you see, in each moment, the people were reliant on God. In the hardest moment that the Israelites faced, it wasn't that Israel's efforts that got them released from slavery. It was the work of God. And in this moment in exile, it's not the work, the effort that the people might put forward that brings them to freedom. It is God's strength and power. Too often, we get stuck feeling like we have to make everything happen for ourselves. If we were just more effective, if we were just more productive, if I was just more efficient, but that isn't God's voice. God's voice is simply calling us to renew our commitment to trust. God is simply calling us to renew our hope. In fact, if you were to skim through the whole book of Scripture, those moments where everything seems to start to fall apart, everything starts to fall apart in the Bible. 
when the people start to trust and rely on themselves more than they trust and rely on God. And everything for the people in Scripture, everything starts to come together when their people renew their trust in God. And it really isn't any more complicated than that. Your value is intrinsic. You are valuable because you are a beloved child of God. There is nothing you could do to earn more love. You have got it all already. Now we simply need to learn how to rest in that comfort. And I know this will be a lot harder for some of us than others. Some of us rely on our own strength of will an awful lot. And honestly, I count myself among that group more often than not. But y'all, we have a really good community here who are all on the same journey together. So if you'd find comfort in a, a conversation partner, I honestly, the person sitting next to you or in front or behind of you might be a great conversation partner. Or if you need a group, there are groups all over this church on Sunday morning and even throughout the week where folks get together and share their lives with each other, hoping to live more and more and learn more and more about God's love and our trust in that partnership. So I hope that you'll build those relationships here. You are not alone in this lifelong project of renewing our commitment and releasing our trust into God's hands. We are, in fact, in it together. That is the point of church. So thanks be to God for that. Amen.